Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. We look at the landscape. I'm like, call it what you want. This is tough. And I don't care if you are a consumer company, a financial and energy name. It's a difficult environment. On WealthTrack, one of the industry's most impressive managers, Claire Hart joins us to discuss her market and category beating strategy. Funding provided by ClearBridge Investments, First Eagle Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, Strategus Asset Management, and Women Investing in Security and Education. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuela Mack. Income and quality should always matter, but it's markets like these when those characteristics really count. Now, historically, since 1930, dividends have contributed about 40% of the S&P 500's total return. It's varied widely from decade to decade, however. According to a recent Insights report from the Hartford Funds, dividends played a large role in terms of their contribution to total returns during the 1940s, 1960s, and 1970s, decades in which total returns were lower than 10%. By contrast, dividends played a smaller role during the 1950s, 1980s, 1990s, and 2010s when average annual total returns were well into the double digits. What sort of a role will dividends play now? Well, we have a new guest on WealthTrack this week with a long and distinguished track record of investing in high-quality dividend-paying stocks. She is Claire Hart, who Morningstar calls one of the industry's most impressive managers. Hart has been the lead portfolio manager of two highly rated funds since 2004, the $48 billion J.P. Morgan Equity Income Fund, which emphasizes long-term growth and current income, is rated four-star gold by Morningstar. The much smaller $3 billion J.P. Morgan U.S. Value Fund focuses on large-cap companies that are leaders in their sectors and carries a five-star silver rating. Hart has been in the investment business for 30 years, was a certified public accountant before that, and was named to Barron's 100 Most Influential Women in U.S. Finance in 2020. Since this is Hart's first WealthTrack appearance, I will ask her to describe her flagship J.P. Morgan Equity Income Fund, what is its objective, and how does she accomplish it. But first, what is she telling clients about the big picture, the outlook for the economy and markets? It's a very difficult environment for investing, but almost appropriately so, because it's a difficult environment for the companies. So from our perspective, we tend to invest in sort of large cap or well-established companies. And when we talk to them about their outlook, they have many scenarios that they're running because it's difficult. It's hard to know how things like uh, labor costs, uh, consumer spending, sentiment, it's hard to know how all this is going to play itself out in the market. So what I'm telling clients is, let's be realistic. It's very tough out there. You have to be with really strong management teams in companies where people need their goods, services, want to buy whatever they're selling. 
um, and don't get nervous if you see a downdraft in the market. You just have to be willing to kind of ride it out. And what about the companies that you're talking to? Are you noticing a change in what they're reporting to you about business conditions? What we're hearing is that labor, wages, is still a pressure. And obviously now we're hearing about FX. Even companies that historically hadn't talked about FX, they're multinationals. They're all talking about the impact of FX. Right, of currencies. I would say what's easing a little bit is the supply chain, uh, freight, all of that sort of thing is, is easing a bit. And I would say they are appropriately conservative in the way that they're talking about demand, both domestic and globally. I think you know all the management teams, they run good companies, they rely on their teams, but they are trying to be very conservative in the way they talk to us, be very conservative about their outlook and what they can deliver. So they're being careful. How careful are you being uh, as investors right now if we're going into a period where economic growth could slow even more, a lot of people are talking about a global recession, how much more careful does that make you uh, as investors? Or does it open up opportunities instead? I would say it's probably more the latter. So if it's a recession, and if it's this year versus next year, is it shallow or, or deep? That's all important things to sort of pay attention to. But the reality is, look at inflation, look at the U.S. consumer. We would tend to invest in the U.S. Look at the U.S. consumer and the pain that they're absorbing in terms of, yes, they're working, yes, wages are going up, but inflation is outpacing that. It almost doesn't matter to us. Is it a recession or not? Okay. Because we look at the landscape. I'm like, call it what you want. This is tough. And I don't care if you are a consumer company, a financial and an energy name. It's a difficult environment. So we are just trying to, you know, listen to the companies, make sure that they are appropriately conservative, as we talked about, and that they have a plan, you know, a plan they're going to follow. But we need a plan B, plan C. How are, <laughs> how are they going to navigate a difficult environment? And most importantly, you know, rates of obviously moving dramatically. So if a company, for some reason, hasn't cleaned up their balance sheet and either turned it out or really got into great shape, they've got a lot of explaining to do. And so our companies don't tend to have that problem because we really focus on a strong balance sheet. Let's hone in on the J.P. Morgan Equity Income Fund. You know, you've got a terrific track record. You've been managing the fund since 2004. And what's the objective of the equity income fund? What, what are you trying to accomplish? Well, our mandate is that we buy quality companies at a reasonable valuation that pay a dividend yield. And if it sounds very simple, it is. We want all the companies to have a minimum 2% dividend yield at the time of purchase. And our goal is to make people as much money as we possibly can following that mandate doing what we say we're going to do. Because you've been in the top decile of performance, uh, again, since 2004, and the, and the bottom decile of, um, of volatility. So those are, those are two you know, pretty important metrics. Um, so what do you think is that you are doing differently? One thing that could actually 
highlight a little bit is we talk about being a value product or fund, but we actually right. have this embedded quality bias. And that is again, quality of the management team, quality of the financials, quality of the earning stream. All of that to us is important. And so that means these are great companies. And when the markets are strong, we can make money in them. But when there are down drafts, the quality really matters. And we tend to lose less in the down drafts. How important have dividends uh, been in the returns that you've been able to deliver? I mean, what, what role have they played? Well, I think quite significant. So mm -hmm. over time, it's, dividends have generated over a long period of time. You know, call it 40% of the returns right. in the S&P. And people forget that. When the market's up 20, 25%, and you say, oh, this is a great company, and it offers 250 basis points of dividend yield, people are like- Right, two and a half percent, right. People are like, jump change. <laughs> Our market's up, yeah, I want to stock this up 50%. But over time, those little two, two and a half percent, three percent, that really compounds and it matters. So it's been a significant driver. When markets are not that strong, just to have at least that dividend piece that keeps in investors invested in tough markets is really important because they need to be there for the rebound on the other side of the markets. And sometimes that dividend um, is enough to keep people engaged and keep them invested in the market so that they don't you know, cash out at the wrong time and, and miss you know, hopefully the, the refresh on the other side. So many uh, portfolio managers say that they're looking for quality companies. And so I'm trying to figure out the kind of companies that exemplify what you're looking for. And your top holding, it, at least as of uh, the end of the third quarter, was ConocoPhillips. So Conoco, obviously the EMP company, um, oil and gas. So right. what's, what's really significant for us is if you go back at least five, might be seven years, Conoco was one of the first major, one of the majors, that sort of took a step back and said, actually, we're not going to just focus on production. So for a long time, the, the energy companies, it would simply be about more production, more barrels produced. And now if it didn't actually trickle down to any increased earnings for the investors or better cash flow, that's not what they were doing. They just cared about production. So Conoco was one of the first that actually took a step back and said, actually, we're not going to just focus on production. We're going to focus on returns. We're going to focus on an appropriate use of capital, not just to get more barrels out, but let's think about the barrels. Let's think about um, the return on invested capital. Where do we allocate the next dollar? And if there's not a good, appropriate way to invest that money, we are just going to give more money, more money back to shareholders. So either a higher dividend or you know, stock share repurchases. So they were one of the first to adopt this capital discipline. And then if you look through other names in our top 10, you'd probably see like uh, an EOGO, ExxonMobil. So those are also, it's the same idea. You know, ExxonMobil I think is probably the one that came to this um, realization maybe latest, which is one of the, mm -hmm. it's one of the, one of the newer names in the portfolio. But all of them have come to this idea of it's not just production. It has to be in a way that generates returns and cash flows. I'm very happy to see 
what I considered was this past year with oil prices, a bit of a test case. Would they really stick to the discipline they've been talking about? And so far, our companies have, which is great. When did you figure out that that was going on? How did you hear about it? This actually might get back to the question you were asking originally, like what differentiates what we do and how we do it. I would say the difference is we spend a lot of time with managing companies. We spend a lot of time with these teams understanding how they're going to use the capital. And they're not telling us anything inappropriate. But right. you sit down, you look someone in the eye, you start to understand how they think about their business in a way that it's difficult to distill from the MDNA and the 10K. Financials are, uh, at least at the end of the third quarter, were 21% of the portfolio. And um, you are not allowed to own your own stock, J.P. Morgan Chase, Correct. which takes you know a big, powerful financial institution off the table for you. It does. Um, but uh, Bank of America is is one of your you know your largest holdings. So why such a heavy concentration uh, in financial? Is is that unusual? Um, and financials is a is a big pool. Is there a company that kind of epitomizes? Uh, what you're looking for in, in financials. So I would say, is it always a large holding? I think it tends to be a large holding in the fund. It's been an on a higher absolute weight in the past. Part of the reason we have as much in the financials as we do, though, is because, to your point, there's lots of subsectors in there. So yes, there's certain overriding factors that impact all the financials, rates, uh, regulatory, credit. But even those few will impact an asset manager different from an insurance company, an insurance company that does underwriting versus an insurance broker versus a bank, an exchange. So that's why we have as much in the financials as we do is we can really take it, divide that pie and access different, I'd say, ways to make money, different risks. But on the, but on the flip side, different returns. So depending on the environment, so for example, this year, maybe obviously, our insurance names and insurance brokers mm -hmm. have done better than the names that have credit exposure because all of a sudden people are worried about recession. We try and sort of um, split out the risk to live in buckets and then see different return opportunities on each of those buckets so that depending on the environment, we're still going to make money. Where in financials do you think you're going to make money? First of all, all the names in our portfolio, we're going to make money. Right. But to your point, who suffered the most year to date? And it's the banks. It's either uh -huh. regionals or diversifieds. I think the banks that extend credit, and you can throw the card companies in this too. The banks that extend credit are facing a wall of investors who just take a step back and say, I don't know when the recession will be. I don't know how bad it'll be you know, steep, shallow, that sort of thing. And I don't necessarily know where in credit it's going to be the worst. Mm -hmm. So people are stepping back saying, we've had a lot of liquidity, things are getting tight, there's going to be pressure, I don't know where, so I'll just take a step back from all credit. <laughs> and so the reason we feel comfortable owning the banks that we do is, first of all, we spend a lot of time talking to them to understand how they think about underwriting, how careful are they about extending credit, about terms? We take a look at sort of over time. What's their track record? 
you know, they say they're being careful, but historically, have they navigated recessions, navigated credit environments well? And so we feel like right now, again, the multiples have been compressed because mm -hmm. the earnings are higher, right? Net interest income, you, were, you wouldn't know it, but it's higher for all the banks because of the way the Fed's been moving so aggressively. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But people don't care. Investors don't care. Is there a particular bank that epitomizes the, that ability and that flexibility and the fact that they are you know, preparing uh, for you know, potential losses down the road uh, you know, if and when the economy weakens? Well, I think to your point, Bank of America's one of our largest, if not our largest, uh -huh. holding. Um, so I would say Bank of America certainly, Wells Fargo's in that bucket too. I mean, they've been Inter in the penalty box. That's interesting. Box. That's been a yeah, big turnaround. Mm -hmm. A big turnaround. Been in the penalty box, obviously, with the regulators. I think to their credit. And, you know, we talk about quality companies. And so sometimes people will say, well, given the things we hear about Wells in the news, how is that quality? You know, quality doesn't mean that a management team or a company gets everything right. It means that they have controls. If something goes wrong, and companies are run by human beings, if something goes wrong and there's a misstep, do you have the controls in place to catch it? Do you have the, the will and the inclination to fix it? Are you honest with investors about it? Do you address it, right? So somebody like a Wells, you know, in Bank of America, these two companies have navigated very difficult credit environments. They've got diversified earning streams. So yes, we're talking about net interest income and credit, but they've got fee lines as well, which helps offset, you know, if you're just making money off of different, you know, if it's banking or services you're offering people, that takes a little bit of the noise or the variability out of what happens to credit. So those are both well-diversified, well-capitalized, very important, financial institutions that you know, I think are indicative of the way we're thinking about how things can go right for the banks. Healthcare is another big area that you're invested in. United Healthcare, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Johnson & Johnson, CVS, uh, that's a, 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 an important focus, why? Well, I think right now, if you look at the composition of the portfolio, what happened during COVID uh, is that the, the pharma names that had a horse in the race, and that would be like sort of a Pfizer, Moderna, J&J &J a little bit, but they had some missteps around their vaccine, so to speak. Those were the hot ponies in the race. <laughs> and so any healthcare name that was not a candidate for outsized results because they have the COVID vaccine, was on sale. People like, literally could not be bothered. So Bristol-Myers, I think, is an excellent example. It's fascinating to me. So back in, call it 2021, again, it was all about who's got the vaccine, who's making money off the vaccines. And Bristol-Myers trades, I think it was eight or nine times earnings. And Bristol-Myers, again, unfortunately, you think about their pipeline, they have Optivo and Yervoy. And if, you, unfortunately, someone has cancer, there's a couple of ways you can fight it. And Optivo and Uravoy is one of the most powerful combinations you can use to fight cancer. Hmm. Cancer, unfortunately, is a huge TAM, total addressable market. It's horrible. And you have a company that can give people one of the best chances possible to have better outcomes related to cancer. 
and it's trading at eight times earnings. And in addition, they have more drugs in the pipeline. But if you want to be selfish mm -hmm. and just look at the cash that's already there, coming off a drug, well, they'll take Opdivo, partner with another drug, and can extend the exclusivity of Opdivo because they're trying to figure out new ways to help people. So names like that, um, even United Healthcare, we think it's one of the best managed care companies in the business. But you know, the big question mark was uh, utilization, uh, costs related to COVID, um, healthcare needs for people mm -hmm. related to COVID. Big question mark. People didn't know how much it was going to cost the managed care companies, so they kind of stepped away. They're busy trying to chase down the next COVID vaccine company. So someone like United gives a good opportunity to build out a position to somebody like United. What is the biggest risk that you see to your portfolio? It's a little backwards, maybe, in thinking about it. The risk to our portfolio, we own great companies. They have real earnings, real cash flow. The risk is, in an environment like this, where people get nervous, risk off, people flood into our names, and we need to take money out because the valuation triggers are clicking. So we're taking money out. One investment for long-term diversified portfolio. It's a question I ask everyone at the end of every WealthTrack interview. And again, I stress sure. in a long-term diversified, which our viewers, if they've been listening to us for you know 18 years, have much more diversified portfolios now. Uh, what would the one investment be? So I will just start by saying we love all of our companies. Um, but if I had to pick one that is and it's quite topical, too, in this environment. Air products, they make products from air. So bottled gases, right? So, and some of these are huge capital commitments that they make on site for a company that needs you know, oxygen, nitrogen, whatever it is they need in terms of industrial gases. But what makes it fascinating, if you're talking about long-term investment, they're at the forefront of multi-billion dollar projects to create blue and green hydrogen, right? Hmm. So hydrogen you need to refine oil. But normally it's natural gas that's used as an input for the hydrogen. And it causes emissions. So blue hydrogen means, you know, there's, you've heard of um, carbon sequestration. Yes. It takes some of those emissions, a lot of the emissions, and sequesters it, buries it in the ground. So it's better for the environment. And then the next step, green hydrogen, is that you're not using natural gas. You're using renewables. So it might be wind or solar to generate the hydrogen. So if you think about it from an ESG perspective, things that, need, things that just have to be better for the environment, they are at the forefront. Billions of dollars, years ahead of competitors to build large projects, not only to sort of deal with the hydrogen needs currently, but to move it to blue so that there's less carbon impact. Take it to green, where there's literally no, zero carbon impact. That's a great company. And they're committed to paying a dividend. Oh, yes. You know, they talk about industrial gases, and it's fascinating. Like, you really want to go back and hear it again. It's really interesting. <laughs> great management team. And yes, of course, committed to the dividend. 
So. Well, you are fascinating too, Claire Hart. I'm so glad we finally got to get you on Wealth thank Track. You. And thanks so much for joining us. And I'm sure we'll be talking to you again. Thanks, Claire. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is consider adding a dividend growth ETF to your portfolio. One group mentioned frequently by WealthTrack guests is what is known as the dividend aristocrats, which are companies that have raised their dividends every year for 25 years or more. There are several ETFs built around companies with long histories of increasing dividends. The ProShares S&P 500 Dividend Aristocrats ETF symbol NOBL specifically tracks the S&P Dividend Aristocrats with 25-year track records. It's rated five-star bronze by Morningstar. Another choice is the Spider S&P Dividend ETF, symbol SDY, which casts a wider, slightly less restrictive net. It chooses companies from the S&P 1500 Composite Index with at least 20 years of dividend increases. Morningstar rates it five-star silver because of its excellent track record and more attractive risk-reward profile than the Russell 1000 Value Index. In addition, Vanguard has the four-star gold-rated Vanguard Dividend Appreciation ETF, symbol VIG, which tracks the S&P U.S. Dividend Growers Index. It focuses on companies with at least 10 consecutive years of increasing their regular dividend payments. In this turbulent market, these dividend-growing funds offer some downside protection and a growing income stream that will provide some inflation protection as well. Well, next week... The Perilous State of the Markets with Robert Kessler, Wall Street critic and outspoken former Treasury bond manager. In this week's extra feature, Claire Hart's recharging strategies. How does she stay sharp and energized from the pressures of running two top performing funds? We invite you to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.